again of the love that can never decay, of the blood of the Lamb who was slain, till we praise him again in that day. We'll remain seated. Let's sing our very best in these lovely hymns, please. spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. <clears throat> there's mercy with the Lord. And we'd glad tonight there's mercy with the Lord. If it was left to ourselves, we would perish in a lost eternity. But praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ came and extended to us the mercy of God in his salvation.
cross for my Saviour died, down where for cleansing, for sin I cry. <clears throat> Praise God tonight, that fountain still flows with a cleansing power to redeem precious souls from their sin. There is a fountain filled with blood. Tenderness he sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. Oh, the love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me 
to the full. We'll stand together, make this our opening hymn. Let's continue that good singing and let's sing this hymn with all our hearts, please. Let's all stand when we sing.
of seats and we're going to sing that final verse without the music and we're delighted to have with us uh, on occasions we are always blessed to have Arlene and Ewell with us and we're going to ask our brother Ewell Carson you'll know that the Carson complex in the church here is called in memory of a dearly beloved elder in this congregation Nevin Carson if there ever was a man of God it was Nevin Carson and we're delighted that Ewell is with us tonight we're going to ask Ewell to come and to lead us to the throne of grace in prayer after we sing so while the hours are passing and now is perfect peace Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, great messages that we've been singing tonight, especially the, the message of the blood. And we thank you, Lord, for the blood that bought us. And Lord, as we've just thought that there is that fountain filled with blood, we thank you, Lord, that it uh, was filled with blood for us. And Lord, we come into your presence tonight. We thank you that you are the great creator God, the one who has indeed created the heavens and the earth, who has set the world in motion, and that the one who came down into this world as a babe in the manger, as we've just been thinking of that over the last few days, how that you came from that splendor of glory into that, uh, be born as a babe in a manger, uh, with the sole purpose of going all the way to the cross to die for us. And Lord, we thank you for that great um, promise that we have, that you will, um, if, if any, whoever calls on your name, you will save them. Lord, we thank you for uh, that verse that... Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have ever eternal life. And Lord, we thank you that by putting trust in you, we uh, who have done that have uh, a surety of heaven. We are sure as if we are already there. And Lord, we come into your presence now. We just thank you for um, this gathering of people. We just know that there are many here who... Uh, have different needs and as we look out on this new year we thank you for being with us in the year that is gone we thank you for your blessings lord as we've heard even uh, over the last days and even last night of how you were with many of our congregation through times of trouble and times of sorrow and also through times of blessing and lord as we look into this uh, new year we just th pray that you will be with us we know that you will be with us lord we know that we have that assurance that you will be with your people you have promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, we just pray that you will be with us, each and every one, and give us that um, 
assurance that, that we will be able to rest uh, in, in your arms. And Lord, as we now come, we would just pray for this service. We pray for your servant, uh, Reverend Park, as he will open up the word, the word to us tonight. We just pray that you will uh, set a seal even in this year by uh, uh, bringing souls to, to know you as Savior. Lord, we pray that if there's any who are in tonight or those who are listening online who uh, don't yet know you as Savior, that you will uh, uh, convict tonight and Lord, that you will indeed uh, save and that there will be tokens for good in this service. We ask this in your name. We just pray that you will continue to be with us in everything that takes place in this service. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Yule, for leading us to the throne of grace and prayer. I can remember many years ago in the Youth Fellowship, our brother Yule speaking one night, and I can remember it until this day. He spoke on Bible lettuces. And of course, it's not the lettuce that you would eat, because the lettuce only give you heartburn anyway, but uh, he spoke on let us hold fast, let us come boldly, those verses in the New Testament where we have uh, those uh, references. So it was a blessing to our souls, and we thank him for leading us to the throne of grace in prayer. We welcome you to our evening gospel service, to our family night. This is the first of a new year, 2023, and we're delighted that you've come. Thanks to all who've come. If you're visiting, you're made especially welcome. Glad to see some visitors with us, and we're glad to have Jonathan and Lauren with us tonight, also Joe and his wife and Matthew and others. So thank you for coming and being with us tonight at the service. Refreshments will be served after uh, the service tonight, so do stay if you can and enjoy the time of uh, fellowship together. Just an announcement for youth uh, choir practice after this service tonight. And Samuel, do you want to go to the church hall? Yes, so if you go to the church hall uh, for a practice after this service tonight. Do you remember our ministers and students uh, as they meet this incoming week in the Lodge Hotel for the annual Minister's Week of Prayer from Monday through to Friday? Pray the Lord will come amongst our brethren and that they will know the Lord's blessing even as they meet. And just a reminder to the elders that tomorrow night in our Korean congregation at 8 o'clock there will be the special communion service and trust that we can attend that and be blessed in our souls. Thursday evening is the midweek service where we meet for a time of prayer and Bible study. And then Friday evening commences our annual Hebron Missionary Weekend. This has become part of this congregation down through the years and it's been a time when we, many of us can look back to the blessing of God. So to remember all the services, the Friday through to the Lord's Day. The Friday evening, Dr. Bill Woods uh, will be along in the will of the Lord, and we're looking forward to our brother sometime since we've had him here, and so we do trust that he'll be able to come, and the Reverend Park will also uh, conclude that service in a missionary challenge. Then on the Saturday evening, our brother Dr. John Wagner uh, will preach the Word of God. Then on the Sabbath morning, at 12 noon, the Reverend Reggie Kimbo from the United States. And then in the evening service, Mr. Donald Fleming, representing the work in Ukraine, will be along. And there'll be others of our own congregation who will also be taking part. The choirs will be singing. And so I do trust that you'll come. It's always a time of blessing. And please make plans to be with us. Refreshments will be served on the Friday night. 
Uh, ladies, if you could kindly bring one loaf of sandwiches uh, and two dozen buns, that would be much appreciated. And then, if you've started your New Year's resolution, maybe not to eat so much, if you just put it off for another week, uh, we're going to have the big breakfast for our Christian school. That's on Saturday morning at uh, 8.30 a.m. through to 12.30 p.m. in the Carson Complex. It's a New Year breakfast to raise some funds for our school, and you'll be made most welcome. And then, the most important week in the history of this congregation is always when we meet together for prayer. Monday the 9th through to Friday the 13th of January will be the Hebrews week of prayer. And do encourage each believer to come. We'd encourage you to be with us and plan to be with us on that occasion when we meet each night for the season of prayer. The Missionary Council prayer calendar is available and you'll find those in the table just as you leave there on the right-hand side. I think these are all the announcements that we have to make. We're going to sing together the hymn 211. There is a story sweet to hear. I love to tell it too. It fills my heart with hope and cheer. Tis old, yet ever new. We'll stand to sing this hymn, please.
Thank you, Mervyn, for leading the opening part. And I add my words of welcome to all that are here, any visitors especially. And we have Will Robert again tonight in the service, so we always like to welcome the little ones when they come to the house of God. And we trust that Paul and Ashley will be blessed too as they fellowship with us, as they did so often in the past until Paul came and kidnapped Ashley, took her away. But, you know, time has passed. We're forgiven you, Paul, and that's fine. Good to see you from time to time. Lord bless you. We're turning in the Word of God to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And reading some verses at the end of the chapter from the 12th verse through to verse 19. <coughs> want to encourage you about next weekend just to say that it's the missionary weekend it's been a highlight of this congregation ever since it was started many decades ago uh, first started back in Dr. Alan Kearns's time and it has been the means of stirring hearts opening our eyes again to the missionary vision and many a young life has been called by the Lord as a result of these missionary weekends. On the Friday night, <coughs> many young people will visit, some from our local youth fellowships, and members of the Missionary Council will also be here, particularly on the Friday night. We look forward to having Dr. Bill Woods. Bill has always been an inspiration to us. As a family, we say he's our missionary. Uh, that doesn't mean that others like Noring are, are not. Of course they are, but for many, many years since we got to know Bill, he has had a special place in our hearts, and I know in the congregation here in Balamoney likewise. The boy from Belfast that had no real formal education went as a missionary to Brazil, and then we see what God did through him, what the Lord was pleased to do when Bill had that burden of heart to become a doctor and trained as he did. And the prevalence of leprosy in the state of Acre was 98%. And whenever it was all finished through the treatment led by Dr. Bill Woods, it was reduced to 2% prevalence. So a remarkable man. He also discovered the, the cure for George Lobus disease. I have been in his surgeries. I have watched him as he's performed uh, surgery on these horrible lumps that grow all over the body. Some of them were physically removed, surgically removed, and it was just a great experience to, to see that firsthand. George Lobos was the man who discovered the disease. You wouldn't really want a disease called after you, but uh, that's what happened for him. And Bill was the man who discovered that with the uh, administration of three different types of medicine, when these um, terrible lumps were removed from the body, they didn't grow back. Up until that time, they just kept going back, and surgery had to be performed over and over again. So we look forward to the challenge that he will bring and the others that will come and take part uh, from home and abroad, the reports that will be given. I know that your heart will be challenged and stirred. Now let's have the reading 
of God's Word from 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be? of them that obey not the gospel of God. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. We end the reading at the last verse. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Our gracious God, we're glad tonight that we're coming before the presence of the faithful Creator, the one who called this universe into existence, the one indeed who made us. We can say tonight that Thou art our Creator. You've given to all men, as the Scripture says, life and breath and all things. In our God we live and we move and we have our being. And we want to acknowledge not only God as creator, but as the faithful creator. Thou hast been a faithful God to us. As we sit tonight beneath the ministry of your word, we pray that thou will counsel us, that thou will direct our way, that thou will speak to every heart that's here and those that are sitting at home listening <clears throat> on the internet. We know that a number of our people are sick and laid aside, be with them especially, and draw graciously near to us in the word now and speak to every heart. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> As we come to the first Sabbath of this year, and this is our first gospel meeting, my mind and heart is drawn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, and the subject, the end of the ungodly. And the question, the little question here in the center of the text that asks, what shall the end be? A most searching question is posed here <clears throat> by the apostle. It's a very solemn, solemn text indeed. You see, life is a journey, a journey that every one of us is on tonight. A journey that began at the moment we were born into this world and a journey that will end whenever God takes us out into eternity. But the great question is, whither bound? Where are you going? You're on this journey. 
the journey of life will end one day. But what beyond that? Where are you going when you come to the end of the journey? Hymn writer said, passing onward, quickly passing, but I ask thee, whither bound? Is it to the many mansions where eternal life is found? Passing onward, quickly passing, many on the downward road, careless of their souls immortal, heeding not the call of God. You are on a journey tonight without exception. doesn't matter who you are in this meeting, the rich man and the poor man alike, the child in his play, the old man peering into his grave, the religious man with all his spiritual activities, the godless man with all his carnal and worldly ways, the soldier on the battlefield, the sailor on the naval ship, the Air Force pilot in his fighter jet, all are traveling, every one of us. But whether bound, where are you going? What shall the end be? You see, that's the question that is being asked here. And it is the question of all questions when we think of our destiny and our eternity. Each one of us are coming to the end, the end of the journey, the end of our pilgrimage on earth, the end of our sojourn, our little day that God has given to us in this world. We must die. We must leave this life. We must go into eternity but what shall the end be? I can speak of my end tonight. I can tell you how it will finish for this preacher. I can give you due notification about my eternity, because like Paul, and this is so for every true believer, it will be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. When we come to the end of the journey, we enter through the portal of death, it's absent from this life to be present in the life to come. I'm going by and by to the palace of a king. And I can say in my heart, glory to God. Hallelujah. My end shall be sweet and blessed. Not because of who I am, for I'm no different than any other person in this world. Not because of what I have done. There's nothing that I can do to change my eternity or to bring me to heaven at the end of the day. It's nothing to do with what connections I have in this life, or what positions I hold. It's all of grace, the grace of Almighty God that has saved my soul, and that grace that we were singing about this morning, that not only keeps us through the journey of life, but brings us home to our destiny and glory. Jesus tells me about a house of many mansions, and I've got a mansion, haven't you, dear child of God? Got a mansion just over the hilltop. Abraham, the patriarch, we're told he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And I'm looking for that same city, the city of heaven. God has built that city, and the descriptions are given to us in the Word of God, especially in the latter chapters of the book of Revelation. Heaven is the eternal destination of all the redeemed and the blood-bought people of God. And we shall stand one day in the midst of that innumerable throng in glory who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's the place of the no-mores, 
That's a wonderful little story. One of our ministers has, has written a booklet, and I think it's entitled No Mores. And you come to those final chapters of Revelation, and you will discover about heaven there's no more sorrow, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more death, there's no more curse, there's no more night. Death will be swallowed up <clears throat> in victory, and the last enemy, the enemy of death, is destroyed forever. This corruptible will have put on in corruption, and this mortal will have put on immortality, and we will be where Christ is, and we shall behold his glory, and we shall see him, the Bible says, as he is. Oh, the bliss at the end of the journey for the Christian. So the question, what shall the end be? We can say tonight it's joy, it's peace, it's satisfaction, it's victory, it's delight, it's pleasure. All is peace forevermore on the happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. However, the question asked in the text is not with reference to the child of God. It's not speaking here about the Christian. Paul, Peter is specifically asking about the whereabouts of the unconverted. Mark it well, verse 17. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? We're talking here about those who have disobeyed the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? Well, there's only one gospel. The word gospel means good news. There's only one message of good news. There's only one gospel of good news. And though it bears several titles in the Scriptures, it refers to the same blessed news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It is the gospel of the grace of God. It is the gospel of His Son, it is the gospel of peace, and it is the gospel of your salvation. Peter is speaking about those who obey not the gospel. They hear it, but they do not heed it. They reject it. They refuse it. They resist it. And some of you are thus described here tonight in this meeting. You are disobeying the gospel. You have not responded to the gospel. You are rejecting the gospel. And here's the question, the solemn, searching question that the Word of God is asking you tonight on this first Lord's Day of the year, this very first day of the year, what shall the end be? I have read this book, the Word of God, through and through, and I have not found one verse that gives a ray of hope to those who disobey the gospel. Not one single ray of hope for the person who dies in his or her sin without salvation and without Christ. What shall the end be for the disobedient? What shall the end be for the ungodly? What shall the end be for the Christ rejecter? What shall the end be for you sitting in this gospel service tonight? Well, let me answer this question 
by setting before you the clear, unmistakable declarations of God's Word. What shall the end be? First of all, that end will be death. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3, or chapter 6 rather, to that very familiar passage at the end of the chapter. Let me read to you verse 21 and 23. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. For the wages of sin is death. Thinking of the Old Testament verse of Scripture also <coughs> from the book of Proverbs, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof, the end thereof, are the ways of death. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the end of the journey for the sinner is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So it was declared and decreed from the beginning of time, thou shalt surely die. <clears throat> That's what God told Adam in the Garden of Eden. You disobey me, you take that which is forbidden, you'll surely die. And Paul reminds us in the New Testament, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Wherefore, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The sentence is already given. The, the verdict is already pronounced. The sinner is abiding under a judicial sentence of death. And <clears throat> I just want you to know tonight that sin is a very serious matter. God treats sin seriously. Even though men treat it lightly and they make a mock of sin, <clears throat> God has given his law, his holy law, his solemn law. But we are lawbreakers. We have broken his law. And if you want a measurement tonight, probably the best measurement that you could ever turn to, it's the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. And if you want to read them on the way out, we now have them displayed in the porch of the church. The Ten Commandments, the moral law of God that God has given, it's a measurement. And I tell you, every one of us, without exception, falls short when it comes to those commandments. We are the law breaker. Sin is not only a transgression of the law of God, but it is an attack upon the great lawgiver himself. It is an affront to the spotless holiness of God, which requires that all men are holy in all manner of living. It is but natural and right that God should visit sin with punishment. He has justly, therefore, declared death upon all men. This is the sentence, the death sentence that is justly pronounced upon all men in this world. And it doesn't merely mean physical death. That's part of it. The penalty of sin certainly carries the, the, the sentence of physical death, but it entails much more than that. It is the death of the whole man, physical, spiritual, and eternal. It is physical death. What is physical death? We have doctors in the meeting tonight and nurses and medical people 
that can describe it better than I when it comes to the, the physical sense. You could say you're dead when you stop breathing. You're dead when your heart stops. You're dead when you are pronounced to be brain dead. All, all those things in the, the, the technical side that we might describe death as. But when we look at it through the eyes of God, physical death is the separation of the body and the soul. Because that's what happens before God. When a man comes to die and all those things happen, the blood ceases to flow, the heart stops, the lungs cease to breathe, and the man dies, he expires, he breathes his last, his heart beats for the last time. There is that moment when the soul and the body are separated. That's what God had in mind when he spoke those words to Adam, dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. That's physical death. And this is so for us all. We're all going to die that way. But when we think of death in the context of the Scripture and what the end shall be, it also means spiritual death. Physical death is the separation of the body and the soul. Spiritual death is also separation. It's separation between God and man. We have all been born in a state of deadness. We're, we're dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and in sins that has separated us from God. It's only in communion with the living God that a man can truly live. Because of sin and guilt and pollution, we are cut off from the presence of God. We are by nature unrighteous and unholy, and this is manifested in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And so without Christ, we, we are dead spiritually. We don't have life. But it also entails eternal death. And this may be regarded as the, the, the culmination or the, the completion of that spiritual death the full weight of the wrath of God descends on the condemned. Their separation from God, the source of life and joy, is complete. And that means death in the most awful sense of the word. This ultimate sentence is carried out, as we know, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, in the lake of fire, where John has described the, the fearful judgment day and those given up from all parts of the world, the earth, the sea, all the graves, deliver up the dead to be judged, and we're told that they are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. What shall the end be? That's the question we're asking. And my dear friends, it's death. It's death forevermore. The gospel which some of you reject has the answer to this awful end because Jesus took our place and he bore the punishment. He underwent the sentence. He died. He died the just for the unjust that we might be brought to God. He died physically. He died spiritually. He died eternally there upon the cross of Calvary. Jesus took our place, and that's the only answer for the end of the sinner, which is death. It's Christ. 
What shall the end be? It also means destruction. Turn to Philippines chapter 3 and Mark verses 18 and 19. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. I'm going to mark that little line in the opening part of verse 19. Whose end is destruction. You remember Jesus spoke about two ways, two kinds of travelers. We've told you tonight you're traveling in, in this world. And he spoke about two destinations in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. I want to read those solemn words of the Savior. I want to remind you about what the Lord is teaching here on this important subject. Enter ye in, Jesus says, at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus also warned men to fear God. That God who was able to destroy, remember we're thinking about destruction here, who was able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. The Apostle Paul, he spoke about vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. So when we come to think about the end of the ungodly, we're using a very biblical word here, biblical terminology. It's death, it is destruction. And this destruction, by the way, is not annihilation as some people teach. Some people would try to have you believe that that death means you go out of existence forever. It's annihilation. That means you have no continuation after this life. There's nothing beyond the grave. There's nothing beyond death. There's even some false religions, as you know, that teach that. But this destruction is not annihilation. The Bible is absolutely clear about the continual and the eternal existence of both saint and sinner. The saved are gathered unto eternal life and the lost to everlasting destruction. The Greek word that is used is a polumai signifying to destroy utterly or perish. And the idea here is not extinction, but ruin, loss, not of your being, but of your well-being. We reread about the lost sheep. It's the same word that Jesus uses. We read about the lost son. It's the same word employed by the Lord. And their destruction was one of well-being. It's not the destruction of the body, but of bliss. The well-being of the unconverted is to be lost in the hereafter. No, it's not well-being at all. What shall the end be? It's one of misery. It's one of despair. It's one of deprivation. First and foremost, it is to be deprived of the comfort of God's presence. And that's an awful thing. I read in 2 Thessalonians and the chapter 1 and verse 9 these very, very solemn words. 
who shall be punished. And this is a reference to those that obey not the gospel. The previous verse tells us that. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Do you know the presence of God is the ultimate delight of heaven? In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand, pleasures forevermore. In a lost eternity, that that sense of the presence of God is removed. The presence of God is not known. The presence of God is not felt. I know that God is infinite and eternal in His being. He's everywhere. But in hell, that conscious sense of the presence of God is not known. It's removed forever. There's no joy or comfort or peace. Sinners are removed from all that is good and and pleasant and joyous. They are removed from friends. They are removed from family. They are removed from the holy angels, removed from the redeemed of God. They are removed from laughter and happiness of any kind. You think of the rich man that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 16 and verse 25 where it says, Abraham speaking to him in a lost eternity said, Son, remember, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. When he was on earth, when he had life in this world, the rich man had the good things. He had the comforts of life. He had the joys of earth. He had the blessings of, of health and wealth and family and friends. But now all those things are removed and removed forever, as the Lord tells us in this passage of Scripture. Now Referring to Lazarus, he's comforted, and thou art tormented. I tell you, the end is destruction. It's death, it's destruction. One more thing, it's darkness. Three somber descriptions of hell's darkness are given in the New Testament. It's called outer darkness by the Savior himself. And we have the references there, Matthew 8 and 12, 22, 13, 25, and 30. It is called chains of darkness by Peter, 2 Peter 2 and verse 4. And it's called the blackness of darkness by Jude, Jude verse 13. Outer darkness, chains of darkness, and the blackness of darkness. Oh, my dear friends, tonight the end of them that obey not the gospel, the awful dark end is eternal night. Hell is a place of darkness, utter darkness, darkness in the extreme. The the very fires of hell burn without light. You want to think about that. We know a little bit about that in in chemistry, I don't know whether they still use the Bunsen burners in the science class or not. Whenever I was in chemistry classes, we, we used the Bunsen burners for all kinds of things probably that we shouldn't have. But I do remember that whenever 
the flame burned its hottest. It, it was a, a light blue flame. And when it burned not at its hottest, it was a, a yellow flame, more visible, more light given. So the darker the flame, the hotter it became. Whether the science is applied to a lost eternity, I do not know, but I do know this. There's no light in hell, a place of fire. No light whatsoever. It's obliterated forevermore. A deep, dense darkness will wrap itself around your soul and your body forever. In the great and eternal end of sinners, there's darkness they can't see. We know a little bit about earth's darkness, especially when you go to remote places or go out into the country where there's no illumination whatsoever, there's no street lights, it's a dark night, there's no stars, no moon in the sky, and you go out to a place and, and it's really dense darkness that, that you see, just blackness. Hell is that forever. Sometimes that experience on earth can be frightening. So it will be in a lost eternity. Amidst the cries and the screams of, the, of a lost eternity, there's darkness. Only twice in history, in the history of this whole world, was this kind of darkness witnessed. Once in the Old Testament, it was the, <clears throat> the ninth plague, recorded for us in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 20, and I'll read the following two verses. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. That darkness must have been deep and dense when it could be felt. You could reach out and touch the density of it. Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place three days, but the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So terrified and frightened were the Egyptians. They didn't move from their homes. They didn't move from their beds during that time of darkness. Such was the deepness and the density of it descended in judgment in the old world in the land of Egypt. The other reference is in the New Testament, and you will know it's at the cross in the Gospel of Matthew in the chapter 27 and verse 45. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And that deep, dark, dense darkness descended at the cross as the Lord Jesus Christ was bearing away our sin, as he was paying the price as he was enduring all the experiences of a lost eternity, all the suffering, all the anguish, all the torment, including the darkness of hell forevermore, as Jesus bore it on the cross of Calvary for us. What shall the end be? My friends, it's an end of darkness forever. It's death it's destruction and it's darkness. What do you need to do? I tell you tonight, dear sinner, you need to flee this end. You need to flee this death and destruction and darkness. You need to run to Jesus 
with all haste, as fast as your feet can carry you, and get to him who is the only answer, who is the only remedy to this awful end that sinners will face one day if they die without him. Jesus bore it all. My end. Your end tonight. If you come and put your faith and trust in him. Jesus paid it all. Every bit of it. What it means for the sinner to die and to go out into this final end forever. Oh, will you not seek him tonight on this first Sabbath? of 2023, call upon his name, come to know him, flee, I say to you, flee, for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Lord, we think of this question of all questions, what shall the end be? We can answer it with joy regarding the believer. Our end will be good. As we said tonight, not because of who we are or what we've done, anything that we have accomplished, but all because of what Christ has done for us. All because of his grace that has saved us. But Lord, what an awful end for those that obey not the gospel of God. Lord, touch hearts, we pray. Bring a sense of reality. Help men and women to face up to the truth of your word. And whatever decision needs to be made to flee this wrath, Lord, give them the grace to make that decision, to get to Christ, get to the cross, that this awful end might be dealt with forever and that their end will be a new one. Indeed, instead of hell, it'll be heaven with Christ forever. Speak on as this preacher comes to the end of the the first gospel address in this church, Lord, we pray that you will speak on by the Spirit of God. And this night, may there be those who will settle the matter of their soul's salvation for Jesus' sake. Amen. 232 is the hymn as we close the meeting. O sinner, the Savior. Is calling for thee, long, long as he called thee in vain. He called thee when joy lent its crown to thy days. He called thee in sorrow and pain. And he's still calling tonight. As we've come into the new year, he's still calling. O turn, while the Savior in mercy is waiting, and steer for the harbor light. For how do you know but your soul may be drifting over the deadline tonight? Think of the words, please, as we sing them together.
come to the end of the service, we pray for that reality check. We pray that men and women will face up to the truth of your word and the solemnity of eternity and that they will prepare accordingly to meet God. We thank you for a Savior who came into the world and took the place of sinners, died upon the cross, paid the price in full that we might be delivered. May he be sought after tonight with the whole heart. Bless your word and bless those that have come to be here this evening. Bless the fellowship afterwards and for all who travel home tonight, keep us safe on the roads for Jesus' sake. Amen.